We'll be at 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we have a big chunk of scripture to cover, 20 to 40 today. And this is our final uh, sermon in our Body Life series. Body Life meaning how Christians do life together. And last week we talked about tongues and prophecy. And just a quick review because tongues and prophecy is going to come up again this Lord's Day in this sermon. Tongues, uh, as we talked about from Acts chapter 2, was the ability, the spiritual, na- uh, supernatural, spiritual gift of being able to speak a foreign language, a known foreign language. And perhaps tongues was also a private prayer language uh, that people prayed in private Certainly, it was a counterfeited uh, gift as well in Corinth, or people were abusing these supposed gifts to gain status. Prophecy, in in a nutshell, is being able to speak for God, speaking forth for God. And in the New Testament era, during the first century, new revelation was given through these prophets to the church. All right, today we have the scriptures. Every time we preach or teach, the scriptures is a form of prophecy. How we do life with together is another opportunity to use the spiritual gift of prophecy. Perhaps the Lord will bring something to mind to encourage one another. Perhaps the Lord will guide you as you would pray for a brother or sister in the church. So today Paul shifts the focus to now the corporate assembly. When the church gathers... How is the church to respond and to act? So let's read 1 Corinthians 14. Let's rise as we read 1 Corinthians 14. I'll be reading from verse 20 to 40. 1 Corinthians 14, I'll be reading out of the NASB version. It says this, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in, in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that? You're mad. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation, Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, if it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to to another who is seated, the first month, must keep silent. For, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak 
but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper or disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which are right to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your holy, precious word. I pray your spirit will allow me to preach clearly, faithfully. I pray your spirit will allow us to learn more about your son through this sermon, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 1 Corinthians 14, sets the tone for this sermon. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, the Bible says. Confusion, disorder, chaos, peace, harmony. Shalom is the Jewish concept for peace. Shalom, is, in, in a sense, it is all good. No matter what's happening in life's circumstances, it is all good. A place of blessing. God is a God of order. And as uh, Sister Virginia read out of Psalm 19, creation or the universe screams of God's glory. Not through words, it says. Not through the spoken word. But through creation and order. The sun rises and sets every single day. Order. Order. Out of Psalm 19. And God is a God of order. So how does the sun rise and set every day? Well, I just did some studying here. I did some review for my kids as well. And uh, our solar system. Our solar system is part of the Milky Way galaxy. According to NASA, our sun is one of approximately 200 billion, 200 billion, big number, stars in the Milky Way galaxy, one of 200 billion. And our solar system has eight planets now. I thought it had nine. Pluto's a dwarf planet, my kids told me. So Pluto is not a planet. It's eight planets now. And the Earth has been placed number three from the sun. Right? So God has placed the sun at the center of our solar system. One, two, three. The Earth is in the three spot. And God has providentially placed it at 92,955,807 miles from the sun. Perfectly placed to promote and sustain life. And not only that, God has revolved it around the sun. It's orbiting the sun at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour. That's fast. And it requires 365.242 days to orbit the sun. A little over a year. And that's why we have leap year to kind of catch up and uh, get the calendar back on track. And everything is precise. God is ordered in creation. God is a God of order. As the earth orbits the sun, God spun the earth. Right? So it's revolving on an axis and rotating on the axis at a rate of 
37.5646 miles per hour. God is precise. Amen? And it takes approximately, no, exactly 24 hours to revolve one complete time. That's a day. And it's the Lord is so precise that if the planet spun a little bit slower or a little bit faster, life will be much harder to sustain. Excuse me. <laughs> Meaning in the daytime, it'd be too hot, and in the nighttime, it'd be too cold. The tide would be messed up, the coastlines would be messed up, everything would be different. But God has perfectly spun the earth. So God is a God of order, all right, as, as, as 1 Corinthians 4.33 says. And since the universe is so organized, so ordered, how much more of the church the church is meant to be the most glorious work of God's hand. The church, even greater than the stars in the universe itself, the church. We're here to represent God's nature and God's character. And in God's character, clearly, God is an ordered God. And he has given prescribed instructions to the local church on how to function when we gather together, whether in a corporate worship setting like this or another gathering. God has given us order. And as 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, again, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Peace that leads to blessing. And so there's a blessing that occurs when the church obeys God's order. And follows it. So today, I'm just going to give you the outline ahead of time so we can follow along a little bit easier. Today, the blessing of orderly worship ushers in evangelism. Orderly worship ushers in edification. And thirdly, orderly worship ushers in established authority. In essence, that's describing discipleship. Evangelism, edification, that's the goal of discipleship but requires established leadership to keep the keep uh, to develop a discipleship culture okay so let's get to our first point here how does orderly worship bring blessing while well, orderly worship ushers in evangelism let me read verse 20 for us again brethren do not be children in your thinking yet in evil be infants but in your thinking be mature the problem in corinth was this they were childish in their thinking. They were not spiritually mature. They were actually sophisticated in their knowledge of evil. They were worldly-minded. Their minds were saturated with the world. They thought like the world still. Immature in their thinking. And an example of this is, this, is that tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, was elevated so far that it wasn't even about other people. It was about elevating themselves. Everyone wanted the gift of tongues to elevate themselves. Spiritually mature thinking is thinking like Christ, meaning your mind is saturated with God's word. So we start to think like Christ, act like Christ, exhibit attitudes of Christ. And so Paul contrasts the benefit of both of them in the gathered assembly. Verse 21, Paul quotes a scripture from Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12 is basically a scripture where Isaiah, here's the context of this, Isaiah is warning the people, repent, turn back to God in their plain language in a way that they could understand. But the Israelites, the northern uh, nation, 
would reject Isaiah's plain prophecy to them. So Isaiah will prophesy to them, okay then, someday there's going to come a time where men of strange tongues or foreign languages and foreign men are going to come to you, and that is a sign of judgment. So the Assyrians, about approximately 700 B.C., would come and conquer Israel. And they would naturally be looking different as foreigners and speaking a language they didn't understand. Tongues, Paul was saying, is a sign of judgment, of of God's disapproval. And so verse 22 says this, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. This is how God acts. If and, and when you do not understand the word of God, that's an actual sign of judgment. Non-believers are not able to understand God's word. But particularly tongues, whether it was the supernatural foreign language, whether it was this private prayer language, or even if it was a counterfeit, this was not fit for the local church and the gather, gathering of his people. Back in 2009, um, I was still coaching at the University of Southern California, and we just kind of erected this brand new basketball stadium called the Galen Center, right? Which was a big deal for us, and they would rent out the facility, and they had this uh, event that I was invited to, so I went. It was some friends, and basically an ultra charismatic group was holding an event, a one or two day event, and what I saw was very confusing to me. It wasn't orderly. People were supposedly speaking in tongues from the stage and from the, from the seats as well. People were speaking and moving around at the same time. It was very confusing. And as a Christian, you know, that was 12 years ago. I was, obviously, we're all in development, but I was a much younger Christian back then. I was thinking to myself, what is going on here? I don't understand what's going on. And as I left got out of the seats and kind of walked through it. Naturally, I run into some of my coworkers who were hosting the event, you know, some of the administrative staff from the athletic department. And they knew I was a Christian. I talk about Christ to people, and I was a known Christian on campus or in the athletic department. And this guy asked me, Rocky, what was that about? I just answered, I don't know. I don't know. And this is precisely at what verse 23 is talking about. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted or men or unbelievers, I believe that's a, a way of saying non-Christians enter. Will they not say that you are mad? That's what happened. And if we believe what Paul is saying, that tongues are a sign or a signal for unbelievers, how appropriate is it to speak in tongues in the gathered assembly of the saints who are redeemed, who have no condemnation? There is no judgment for all any of us in Christ. Right? Verse 22, Paul goes on to say that prophecy is a sign for believers. A positive sign for God's approval and blessing because you understand God's word that's spoken to you. That is a grace. If you're sitting here right now and you understand and you believe what is being preached, what a great sign. What an encouragement that you are in the faith. 
Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Verse 25 here goes on to say that, uh, verse 24 and 25 says, but if all prophesy an unbeliever or an ungifted man enter, that's 24, excuse me, 25 says, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. The secrets of his heart are disclosed when plain teaching is given. Let me read you out of Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is a living and active, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Remember the early Christians in Acts chapter 2 when they heard the word preached? They were pierced to the heart. They were cut to the heart. So in essence, the word of God for a Christian fillets our spiritual heart and lays it bare like, wow, God. Wow, God. You are God. You're right. I need to repent. And he, this leads to repentance and worshiping God. I've just encountered God through the revealed word. We have a greater clarity in who God is. And people are saved when the word of God is preached. The opposite of judgment, salvation. A sign of God's blessing in a congregation is when his word is flowing everywhere and clearly whether from the pulpit, whether your interpersonal conversations, whether it's a Bible study, a small group, the word of God is flowing. That is a sign of God's blessing and approval upon a local church. God's word. Let's go to the next point. How does orderly worship bring blessings? Point number two, orderly worship ushers in edification. It brings in edification. Let's read verse 26. What is, it, what is the outcome then, brethren? What should we do then? Paul writes or asks, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. I mean, there's no mention of the ordinance of communion or baptism. There's no mention of testimonies or public scripture reading. There's no mention of those things. You know, this is not an exhaustive list, but Paul writes these things down. The point is this. Let, the, let all things be done for edification. To edify means to build up, to strengthen the local church. This is, this, these are the type of things that should be there to build up or strengthen the local church. And everything has an orderly uh, prescription. Like, for example, verse 27 talks about tongues. And Paul has a prescribed order for tongues in verse 27 and 28. Some things he talks about, two to three, at most three, should speak in tongues, one at a time. I, evidently, they had a Corinthian, the Corinthian church had a problem of people just speaking on top of each other at the same time causing confusion. So one at a time, just like at school, right, kids? 
Verse 27 also says it requires an interpreter, meaning this is what he or she just said, so we can all understand. If there is no interpreter, this person remains silent, speak to himself and God. Very clear. And the key to this is to be able to understand what men and women say. Right? This is the key here. So that we could edify one another. Now here's the prescribed order for prophecy. Verse 29 to 32. It says, let two or three prophesy. And while this person is prophesying, the other recognized prophets are to judge if these prophecies are legit or not. Okay, if this is of the Lord or not. Verse 31 says, one at a time. Now, we don't need everyone prophesying at the same time. One at a time. Notice, there's only one preacher at a time. When Carol came up, she got to pray by herself. We're not just praying all at once, one at a time. Why? Verse 31 says, so that all may learn and be exhorted. Right? To learn, to be built up. So all of us could be built up. In verse 32, I believe this, what Paul's saying, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, meaning the prophets are able to be under control. They're not in a kind of a trance or anything. They're able to communicate, should I say this or not? How should I say this? How should I communicate this? The prophets are under control. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22 says the same things. Test, do not despise prophecies, but test the prophets. 1 John 4, 1 says, test the spirits because there are many false prophets out there, right? So all these scriptures are in alignment with one another. We are to test everything that we hear. And since all prophecy must be evaluated, we need to be responsible when we teach or preach the word or when we have a prophetic word for somebody. For example, when I, I need to be responsible when I preach and teach. It must be about God's word. Even the Bereans in Acts 17 tested Paul, like, okay, what he's claiming, is this, is this in co- accordance with the word? If they tested Paul, they, you, you should certainly test me, right? Am I speaking and preaching from the word of God? Preachers and teachers, our goal should be plain to explain the intended meaning of the scriptures. What did the Holy Spirit inspired author mean to say when he wrote what he wrote? Clear, plain, this is the goal. And perhaps we could be less dogmatic on certain passages which are harder to interpret. Perhaps, you know, we have less conviction of what it means, so we could be a little bit more lighter with these things, all right? And if you have a prophetic word for somebody as you, in your interpersonal relationships, since we need to evaluate, evaluate prophecy that's given, we shouldn't quote God on it. Okay? Let me give, read you a quote by D.A. Carson, a, a theologian. D.A. Carson has said, One of the most troubling aspects of the modern charismatic movement is the frequency with which prophecies are given as direct quotations from the Lord. Even though that pattern is extraordinarily rare in the New Testament. Even in the New Testament, people didn't say often, thus saith the Lord, or God told this to me. It happens, but it's rare, is what D.A. Carson is saying. So in other words, 
perhaps you have a thought from the Lord. Should we say, hey, God said this to me to give to you. God told me to tell you this. God wants you to do this. I'd say we could be much more responsible than that. Perhaps a better way to say that is, I had this thought. When I was praying for you, this thought came to my mind. Or would you consider this and and be in prayer about this thought? Perhaps this is from the Lord. Because if we're to evaluate every prophecy by saying this is from God is jumping over the process of evaluation. Because obviously if it's from God, we need to respond. There is no other alternative. We need to respond. I think these are certain things that we could grow in. You know, I don't think anybody means it like if someone comes to you and says, you know what? God spoke to me today, and this is what, ha- what came to my mind. I don't think they're saying that they're like the uh, prophet Isaiah or they have the authority of Paul or anything like that. However, I think we could be more responsible in our language, some of us perhaps. And some things to look for in evaluating any exposition of Scripture or any prophecy given. Here's some thoughts here. Perhaps I'll try to be slow. You can write them down. It's just some six points here just to think about. Does it glorify God? And does it exalt Christ? Is this about God, right? Is this about God? Is this drawing me closer to Christ, right? That's one. Does the preaching or the prophecy fit with the Bible? Or does it contradict the word? Obviously, that's not from the Lord then. Does it fit the scriptures? Does the teaching or the prophecy given Build up the church. Paul says, let all things be done to edify. Does it build up the church or does it just build up that other person? Right? Does it build up the church? Some things to consider. Three other things to consider about the speaker or the one giving the prophecy or the the one preaching or teaching. Does he or she say in love? Do you get a sense of love from that person when they communicate these things to to you? Does he or she submit to authority in their lives? That's very important. They're not going rogue on their own. They are submitted to spiritual authority. Does he or she demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Right? Jesus said, you know them by their fruit. Do they demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? All right? Clearly, when God speaks... The church is built up and edified. I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about here. So as we're talking about these things, we're not to despise prophecy, but we need to be responsible and we need to be discerning in how to evaluate these things. So this is a very clear thing, clear instruction from the Lord through 1 Corinthians 14 on how to be ordered in giving tongues or prophecy. And it's all meant to build up the church, edify the church. Let's get to our final point here. Thirdly, another blessing. How does orderly worship bring blessings? Orderly worship ushers in established authority. Established authority. Let me read verse 33 uh, to 35 here. As in all the churches of the saints, verse 34, the women are to keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, 
let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Women are to keep silent in the church? It's improper or disgraceful for women to speak in the church? What? What is Paul talking about here, right? This needs some clarification and good explanation here. Anytime you interpret the scriptures, context, context, context. It's like when you buy a house. Location, location, location. Where is the scripture located? One context here, verse 26, tells us when the church gathers. This is a gathered assembly, whether it's Sunday Lord's Day service or a Bible study or a group when other Christians gather. All right, a formal formal gathering. And this also lands in the real estate of Judging prophecy. Judging prophecy. Recognized prophets in the church, in the first century church, would give prophecy. Right? They didn't have the Bible. This is very critical that recognized, respected prophets would give uh, new revelation to the local church. And as verse 29 says, let the others pass judgment. And other recognized prophets would say, yes, that's from the Lord or that's not from the Lord. What was happening in Corinth was that people were speaking out of turn and starting to question things during the service. And this was an issue. People began to sit at the the judgment seat of the prophets, in essence, taking the place of authority in the church. Think about this. Some of us who served on jury duty, I've served on jury duty before, and I'm sure many of us have. The judge, he or she sits at, in her, his or her seat, and he goes, yes, let's add that evidence. Nope, that evidence is not okay. Yes, you may speak, you may not speak. Strike that comment. I mean, he, he or she has authority over that courtroom. We've all been there. Some of us have been there as jurors. Some of us have been watching. The judge, the one who judges information is the one who sits in the seat of authority. So what was happening here is this. Paul was saying, listen, it's inappropriate to question the leadership, even jumping over your husbands to question what's being taught. If you want to parcel this out, wait till you get home. That's what Paul is saying. So therefore... Women are to remain silent in the church. Now, how does this flushed out? Can women sing in the church? Of course. Right? We want this. Can women be, uh, pray in the church? Of course. Can sisters give testimony in the church? Of course. We do all these things. Can sisters read the scriptures? Yes. But when it comes to assuming the authoritative role in the church, that belongs to men and certain men. That's what the scriptures say. Let me read verse, uh, uh, this verse again. For they are not permitted to speak, but to subject themselves, just as the law also says. This is a universal authoritative structure, authority structure in the church and even in the home. When this is the law, let's talk about the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 2, the law It's in the creation order. Eve was created to be a helpmate to Adam. Right? Anyone who's going through premarital counseling or is getting ready to uh, get married, these are scriptures that that are covered so that there's no confusion in the home. Right? 
So we know how order works. Let me read 1 Timothy 2 here. Paul writes about this again to the Ephesian church here through Timothy. To Ephesians, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 says this, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And then he, Paul ties in authority with teaching and exercising authority over a man. Okay, speaking forth God's word, teaching the scriptures. And Paul roots this in the creation order, verse 13. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Verse 14, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is a timeless principle, brothers and sisters. I know culture is pushing back hard, coming at it with a fury right now. But this is a timeless, timeless principle, how God has ordered things in the church and in the home. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about this, how wives are to be subject to their husbands. Some wives in a different setting were taken off uncovering their heads and praying and prophesying. All right, that was a sign of disrespect and disregard to their husbands. So there was an issue specifically like this happening in Corinth. Now Paul's addressing this, what do we do when we gather together? And in Corinth, they were confused with their gender roles. There's confusion, there's chaos. No peace, no blessing. And so they were usurping authority here. Verse 35 says this, If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. All right, let's talk about spiritual leadership here. I'm going to go to Ephesians here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul writes about this as well in Ephesians 5 here. Spiritual leadership in the home. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as a church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands now, love your wives, brothers. Love your wives sacrificially. Just as Christ also loved the church, he died for the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives, die for your wives, protect her. So that he, Christ, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Christ washes us. Likewise, men, we're to wash our wives with the word. This takes some training. This takes some skill. This takes some understanding of the word to do this. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's what Christ is doing for the church. Husbands, we're called to do this, to be able to present our wives holy and blameless. Discipleship. This is discipleship in the home. Being a husband means you're the pastor of your home. That's what it means to disciple your wife. 
Since it's Father's Day, let's go to uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Just go down a little bit. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by being inconsistent, right? What's more uh, frustrating than when you're an inconsistent person? When you're one way in public and you're another way in private, be the same, right? That's what Paul's saying. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In discipline and instruction of the Lord. What an exhortation for us, men, that we have to know the word. To do what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians so that wives could ask their husbands at home, we need to know the word. We need to know the word. And as a church, our local church, I believe it's our responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So this fall, uh, we've made some big moves. We've adjusted Pastor Terry's role. He's, he's the equipping pastor not just him alone, but all of us pastors will come alongside. We are planning to launch uh, equipping hour, the Sunday school hour, where we're not having any conflicts during that 9 o'clock hour so that we encourage all adults to participate, to get equipped in biblical teaching. We're moving in this direction, brothers and sisters. We want everybody to be equipped to be able to minister the word to one another. This happens in September, and we'll let you know as more information goes out. This is a huge, huge emphasis for our church family. Now keep in mind, brothers and sisters, I know this is a very countercultural word now, right? Roles do not equal value, okay, as perhaps the world may teach. Different roles, same value. We're all made in the image of Christ, image of God. Christ purchased us with his blood. This is what it means, but different roles, Different order. And I know this is a highly controversial issue in our secular world today. This is. This is like, what? What are you talking about? You believe in that still? Verse 36, Paul even anticipated pushback back then. Let me read. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Question mark. Or has it come to you only? Sarcasm, Paul's using there. He goes, are you the only ones that know the word? Are you the ones that came up with the word? Paul's anticipating pushback because the Corinthians were so sophisticated, so accomplished, so educated, so arrogant. They thought they sat in judgment of God's word. That's arrogance. In verse 37 and 38, Paul puts it right in order. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, spiritually mature, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. Not mine, but God. This is straight from God. The one who spun the universe in place. The one who's orbiting the earth around the sun perfectly. The one who's just spoken things has happened. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. This is critical that we understand this. We are God's people, and we're people who are submitted to his word. Let's not listen to the noise outside these, these walls here. The secular world, is there's a lot of noise. It's, an, it's important to understand what's going on, but let's major in what the word of God says. Let's fill our minds, not like the Corinthians with the word of the world, but the word of Christ. This is spiritual maturity. Any man or woman that submits to God's word, that's spiritual maturity. Hebrews 1.3 says this. The fact that Jesus spoke and commanded every single atom, every single molecule to be in its place is why the sun rises up in the morning and sets in the evening. 
The fact that the worlds and the planets are not colliding with one another in our solar system is because God said so. He is ordered and he's precise. Aren't you glad that the universe obeys God's word? The difference is this. God has given man a free will to decide to obey or not. That's the difference. The planet simply does what it's supposed to do because God said so. We're to revolve around the Son, the Son of God. And how we do that is by submitting to His Word. This is as clear as can be, and, and, and there's great blessing in it. And really, the greatest blessing is this, that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have eternity with Him. Someday, the Lord is going to say, stop to the universe. This universe that we marvel at is not going to be here forever. Someday, in Second Peter Chapter 3 says that the Lord will stop everything and everything will be burned up someday. Someday, every single atom is going to come apart and there's going to be a cosmic explosion. Everything is going to be done away with. Someday, God is going to create the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth. And that is the blessing that we get to be with him forever. Friends, perhaps you're a non-believer today. Perhaps you're here visiting Have you received the blessing of submitting to God's word, the gospel message that says this, that we need to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? What does that mean? That means that I choose, I repent, as Armand says, from following myself or something else and choose to follow Jesus as our Lord and believe or trust in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins so that he could forgive me. And so that we could be at peace, so that I could live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. When everything is burned up, we'll be with him. What a blessing. That is the greatest blessing when we follow that order. It's time. Perhaps today's the day that you would respond to Christ. Perhaps you are here as a guest. Perhaps this is the day that you're completely changed. Our Lord is amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to preach your word. I thank you for Discipleship Sunday. Thank you. We praise you that you are a God of order. We thank you that you're precise. We thank you that, Lord, that you are a God of peace. And there's blessing that comes to those who are at peace with you, Lord. Father, I pray we will respond to the word preached today, that we will submit to your word more than we submit to the world. Father, I pray that we will respond by we would uh, be committed to learning your word, Lord, and have a greater desire to study your word. Father, I pray for the men of our church that we would be men filled with your word so that we could pass through our homes, our wives, our children, So we could pastor the church with your word. Father, I pray for those who need to repent of their sins and respond to you as their Lord and Savior. I pray they will do this. I pray they will see the glory, your glory in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. Will you speak light into their hearts? Will you do an amazing miracle, greater than the miracle of spinning the earth around, Lord? The miracle of regeneration, Lord. Will you allow someone to become a new creation?
Father, I pray for those who want to commit to following you that they will tell somebody. They'll tell a pastor. They'll tell a leader in the church. They'll tell the friend that invited them to church. Father, I pray, Lord, that we'll come alongside these and disciple them, Lord, and grow them as followers of you. Thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.